We are this morning in going to conclude a series I began five weeks ago called Great Things from the early chapters of the book of Joshua. So many of you have been here, but some of you have not. But I hope in these next few minutes this message will stand on its own even if you weren't here. But we've been in the early chapters of the book of Joshua, which many of you would know if you've been in church either here or generally, that it's a, it's a great moment of um, change and transition for the people of God. A long-awaited uh, promise is delivered as they walked into the promised land in the book of Joshua. After a lot of years in the wilderness, 40, or roughly 40 years, the people of God, as you know, many of you that story, they finally get invited into, through Joshua's leadership, through the Jordan River we looked at it, into the promised land. Now, where we're ending this brief five-week series is really before all the action starts. <laughs> the actual action in the, uh, the book of Joshua is not so much about getting in the Jordan. That happens, I suppose, in a day. But the rest of the book, you know, probably, you know, 20 years, however long it takes to unfold, they're actually doing what God had called them to do, which is to claim the land as their own, to reclaim their ancestral land through all these military campaigns, right? Now, there's an analogy for us. As Christians, we're not called, you know, to go conquer the world. That was a bad idea, by the way. The Crusades were a bad idea, right? That's not how you do it. We conquer the world spiritually, the dark and morally spiritual world, through the love of Jesus Christ. We are called to go and claim the world, our own neighborhoods, our, own, our world, uh, near and far uh, for, for God. But um, the action, well, this series has not been about the action. It's really been about uh, take, preparing to take action, really. That's what we've been talking about for five weeks. What does it take to prepare, you know, to, to, to advance in the kingdom of God, if I can use that language, to grow as a Christian, to grow as a church, right? It's not about how much time you've put in. Sometimes people think of that, you know. Some people say, well, listen, you know, I've been a Christian a lot longer than she has or longer than they have. I've been in doing this longer. I've been around longer. Therefore, I need to be in leadership or I should expect to have this kind of blessing in my life, this kind of purpose. I put my time in. Sometimes that works for certain things in life, maybe in career or in other areas. But it doesn't work in the kingdom of God. It has nothing to do, really with about how much time you've put in or how long you have been around. It's about how seriously you have prepared yourself, how seriously I have prepared myself, how seriously we've prepared ourselves as a congregation for a work of God in our lives or in your life. That's really what the Bible teaches Old Testament and New Testament. And Joshua, in these final verses, for our purposes, he becomes a stand-in um, for the people of God in his day, but I think in many ways it has a lot to say to us. Joshua chapter 5, we'll look at verse 13 through chapter 6, verse 1, in a message titled, Holy Church. Holy Church. Follow along as I read. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, inside the promised land now, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, 
Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. This passage is about the holiness of God. Okay, The last time you heard a message on the holiness of God. But this is Joshua. I think as a stand-in for his people, and I think as a man, in, in a manner of speaking, a illustration, a stand-in for us, encountering the holiness of God. But here's what's so important. This isn't just some sort of, you know, theological, take notes, you know, academic exercise. To encounter the holiness of God means that you, it's a call to personal holiness, right? That's what we're really talking about. To encounter God in his holiness is to be called to personal holiness. But it's important for us, right, if we really want to experience this message and experience this truth, to know what holiness is, right? What is holiness? You know, holiness is not simply what you might think it is, what I might think it is, which is when I think of the word holy, I think of moral purity, right? This person is holy. They're morally pure or more pure than I am. It's moral purity, but moral purity is not holiness. It's a form of holiness, right? When you look at the Bible, we look at the scriptures, you know, people are holy, things are holy, right? Clothes are holy, food is holy, right? It's declared holy. The building that, was, that, that first, um, you know, Solomon built, it's declared holy, right? Well, how can a building, how can a pot, how can a shovel, how can a, how can a garment be holy if it's, how can it be moral, right? That doesn't mean uh, 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 morality. That's not what the word holiness means. What, what, what holiness means is to be set apart for a specific purpose. That's what it means. And the Bible opens, though, holiness is first defined as God's is holy. He's declared holy. And I can think of many places, but... Two big ones is, let's say, Isaiah 6. You know, when, they, when Isaiah sees the Lord lifted up, and many of you know this passage, or some of you do, I'd check it out. He actually has this vision, this rare vision into the, into the throne room of God, so to speak. And everyone around says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? That's what's going on in Isaiah 6. In Revelation chapter 4, you see it again, all the way up here at the end of the Bible. And, and there's, a, there's, there's this window into the throne room of God, and there are elders and people, and, and it turns out... Later, if you listen, hundreds of thousands of angels, right? I mean, countless angels speaking about the holiness of God. What does it mean? Does it mean that God is moral? I don't think that's a, it's a call for morality. That's a form of holiness. What they're talking about is the unmatched, unparalleled perfection of God, right? That's what holiness is. And in this sense... Um, it means to be wholly devoted. When we, when we respond to the unmatched, unparalleled perfection and beauty of God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah falls to his feet. And John the Apostle falls to his feet. And everyone in the room, Revelation 4, falls to their feet. We're, we're responding to the perfection, the, the beauty, the unparalleled, unmatched perfection and beauty of God, but what it means in response, right? 
is that we are wholly devoted to God's service. To respond in holiness means we were living in this way, now we're living in this way. We were living for this purpose, maybe serving ourselves, and now we are wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, wholly devoted to serving him. That's the moment that Joshua was in. That's the lesson for you and for me. If you're reading along with us in, in our Bible reading as a church, two years going through the Bible, we just read uh, the end of the book of Ephesians this week. Ephesians 5 talks about practically what does this mean. He says, listen, there should not be among you a hint of immorality or of impurity or of coarse talking. This is not in line with being God's holy people. But as God's holy people, an adjective describing who God's people are, you, are, you ought to be children of light. You're called out of darkness into the light for a purpose, right? That light isn't for your own benefit. We are called out of darkness into light to go into a dark world to go into a morally compromised world, to go into a broken world and be light, right? Holiness is about purpose. It's set about for purpose, and that's what you see Joshua doing here. The reason some of us, perhaps, have not experienced the kind of usefulness that you might desire, right? Some of you say, I've been a Christian for a long time. That some of us have not experienced the usefulness that we desire. Perhaps the reason some of us feel like we've been passed over for promotion right, by God in the manner of speaking. It's not because God doesn't want to use you, that God doesn't want to use me. It's not because you're under-talented. It's not because we as a church are under-resourced. It's because we've not been, I've not been, you've not been wholly devoted to God, right? Serving God's been a part-time job, and what it means to be holy is to be fully devoted to God. I, re- I listened to this um, podcast this week, I just happened to listen to it, it's sort of a biography podcast, and it was with Justin Timberlake, okay, who uh, some of you know Justin Timberlake is, come on, admit it, geez, let's go, uh, musician, artist, actor, whatever, and I don't know much about him, but it was an interesting interview, but he said, you know, they, they ask him the typical question they ask interviewers of famous people, what's one thing that people don't know about you that, you know, that would be interesting, that, that people would find surprising about you, and he goes, I'll tell you what, this is how he answered the question, he goes, I'll tell you what bothers me, but it answers the question, he goes, it really bothers me when people say to me, as someone did recently, after a show, kind of, you know, behind the, 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 uh, the, the stage. And someone that, that kind of was part of his, you know, uh, entourage. And, 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 and someone said, you know, the thing that bugs me about you, Justin, is, is that you, um, you make everything look so easy. You know, whether it's dancing or singing or act, You make it look, and he, goes, and he goes, that really bothers me. And they go, why does it bother you? The interviewer said, I'll tell you why it bothers me. Because nothing I do is easy. You have no idea how hard this work is. And he went in to tell the story of his life, which I didn't know. He said, ever since I was 10 or 11 years old, my mother and I would drive back and forth to Orlando, Florida, and Disney this, and, and Mickey Mouse that, and, and Star Search. And I have been standing in front of a mirror for hours and hours and hours in rooms all by myself for years, right? Nothing I do is easy, right? That's what we're talking about, right? This is what Joshua's learning. What it means to be holy is to be holy, W-H-O-L-L, devoted to God and his service. And if you and I really want to get in the game, if we as a church want to get in the game, holy church, we need to be devoted to him. And what we learn, first thing we learn in this passage with Joshua, we must come to God without conditions, right? We must come to God without conditions. Think about this moment. Joshua is the leader of this people, right? He's the heir apparent to Moses. He's the successor, 
Moses brought them out of Egypt. Joshua brings them into the promised land, and it's a military campaign. And that night, before their first battle, right, where the action starts, they're all sleeping, they've had their meal, they're, they're excited, they're, they're nervous. And Joshua, as the leader, does what all good leaders does. He goes out and does a little reconnaissance mission. He's walking out there, just thinking and, and wondering and perhaps praying. And he's out there in the dead of night, looking at the edge of this city that they know they're going to deal with in battle the next day. And he meets somebody, right? He looks up. And there's a man standing with a drawn sword. Now, that, ought to, that would probably freak most people out, but Joshua's a military leader. So he's not that surprised. And he has a question for him. He said, listen, are you for us or against us? Are you going to join us or am I going to pull out a sword and, and, and deal with you, right? Are you for us or against us? Are you going to help us or are you standing in our way, Okay. That's what Joshua was saying. And I would say to you that it's a reflection of how many of us, or the lesson is for us, manage our relationship with God when we finally meet him in his holiness, right? God, we, God, we, we, we want God to either uh, uh, get something from God, for God to do something for us, right? Are you for us or against us? Or we're mad at God, I talk to people all the time because God is not going to do what we want us to do. I'm sure Joshua was surprised at the answer. Are you for us or against us? And he said, neither, right? You're asking the wrong question. Very Jesus-like, right, if you read the New Testament, right? Very often Jesus would answer a question with a question, why does he do that? Because he's clever? Because he's evasive? No, because he's trying to set your heart and set my heart as the Lord is here, to what's really going on, right? You're asking the wrong question, this man says. I'm not here to help you, right? God is not, and I think there's no question, this is an appearance, a theophany, a Christophany, that he's called the Lord in verse 15. People don't bow down on their knees and worship angels or men or women, right? He falls down on his knees... But what the Lord is telling him, what the commander of the army is telling him, what God is telling me, what God is telling you is God is not here to help you. God is not your personal assistance. He's saying, listen, Joshua, you don't call me into your service. I call you into my service, right? That's what he's saying. And I do it with no conditions. This is the problem. I talk to people all the time who have left the church. I don't mean for another church. That happens too, and that's a different sermon, okay? But when people leave the church and they, don't, and they stop going to church, and if I see them and I talk to them, if I know them and I really dig deep, let me tell you what it almost always is. God had disappointed. God stopped delivering on what they thought he was going to deliver for them. They put in their time. They put in their years. They sat in seats like you did. They ponied up. They did what they thought they would do, but God didn't hold up on his bargain, right? He said, God, listen, I'll serve you if you save my marriage. I'll serve you if you find me a husband. You find me a wife. I'll serve you if you protect my children. I'll serve you if you get me a job. I'll serve you if, what Joshua was saying, if you fight my fight. Right? And if God says, well, no, I'm not here to serve you. You're here to serve me. Then people leave the church. Right? People leave the faith. It's the wrong question. I think some of us, if we have this attitude 
You have to ask and ask and answer it for yourself. You've not really met God in his holiness, in his unmatched, unequal perfection. Let me say this too about meeting God. It's in some sense, the gospel, we say this, you know, sort of a, a shorthand. It's bad news first, then good news. Could happen in the same day or over the same course of days, right? It's bad news and good news. To meet God in his holiness is a traumatic experience, right? So don't, if anyone tells you the gospel that meeting God and meeting Jesus, it's just, you know, it's, it's up to the right, it's sunshine, it's fun, it's problems go away. It's that, the reason that gospel doesn't work very long is because it's a lie, okay? God is all about love and transformation and forgiveness. But it's, we have to face, when we meet God in his perfection and his unparalleled holiness and beauty, it's a, it's a, it's a, a leveling, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a freight train to our own pride and our own sin. Right? To meet God is in one way a traumatic experience. Right? Joshua looks up and sees a man with a drawn sword in his hand. Now, what does that mean? Well, in our, uh, you know, in, in our culture, that would mean a loaded gun. Right? This man, if I, if I do my theology right, is, a, is a, a, theology, a theophany or a Christophany. Fancy words to say it's Jesus Christ before the manger. It's God. How would you like to meet God when he's got a loaded gun pointed at your head? Okay? That's what, he met a man in front of him with a drawn sword in his... It's a traumatic experience, right? How about the Apostle Peter, Luke chapter 5? Now, Peter was always hanging with Jesus just like we are, right? We don't always meet God in his holiness, right? It doesn't happen right away, Right? There's things that you know of. You, you, you would say this about your spouse. I've been married for 10, 20 years, and I've just learned this or that about my spouse, my husband or my wife. Well, it takes time to get to know God. But when you meet him in his holiness, Peter had already been an apostle. And Jesus says to him, Peter, cast out your net. I want to catch some fish. It's the middle of the day. Peter's a fisherman, and his words are recorded for all time. He said, listen, this paraphrase. Jesus, why don't you stick to preaching, Okay. Because you don't fish in the middle of the day. We've been doing this all night. We haven't caught a thing. But because you say so, kind of sarcastically, only because you say so, because I would never do it. It makes no sense to me. I'm a fisherman. I've been doing this my whole life. My father did it. My grandfather did it. You don't know what you're talking about. You ever say that to God? But because you said so, and you're the rabbi, you're the teacher, I'll do it. You ever have that attitude with God? And he does it. You know the story, right? The, the net's so full of fish, they can't um, even pull it in. And then Peter has his traumatic experience. He encounters the unholy, unmatched, unparalleled majesty and beauty of God. And he says, I'm a sinful man. Get away from me, Lord. Okay? It's a traumatic experience. Have you had one? Because you need one to put yourself in a place where you realize God is not calling us into his service. He's not your personal assistant. He's not Browncroft's personal assistant. He's the holy, almighty God, and we are called into his service, and we are to fall down. He is not to buy into my agenda. He is not here to support my agenda. I am here to support him and his. That's what you're for, right? And maybe some of you, that's the reason. You, that's what you can be thinking about as you take the table this morning. Second, quickly, in this message. God reveals himself in the way most needed to support what he's called us to do. It's an amazing passage of scripture, amazing idea. God reveals himself to us 
in the way most needed to support what he's asked you to do. There are, you have to ask the theologians, maybe a dozen, give or take, theophanies, fancy word for God appears to people in the Old Testament. Christophanies, Jesus appears to people in the Old Testament. There is give or take a dozen of them in the Old Testament, okay? Pillar of fire, burning bush, etc. This is the only one where God appears, the Lord, chapter 5, verse 31, chapter 6, verse 1. He appears as a military soldier in full regalia with a drawn sword. Why? Why? That seems strange to me. Doesn't that seem strange to you? God reveals himself in the way most needed to support what it is he has called us to do. This is a Christophany. Joshua needs an assurance of God's presence. I do. He needs a confirmation of his call. But why like this, right? Why like this? I'll tell you why like this. Because what Joshua was being called to do, okay, I think if we're honest, even if it's just your marriage, your job, your, your testimony, the, the Browncroft Community Church, what God has called Joshua to do, what God has called us to do, if we're honest, is humanly impossible. See, Joshua was only one of the two people that's still alive that was here 40 years ago. And the reason they didn't go into the promised land wasn't because everyone was a baby, everybody was just a, you know, a weak and, 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 and self-centered. No, they said no because they, got a, they sent spies into the land and those spies came back and they said, this place is full of people that are a lot stronger, a lot tougher, a lot more well-resourced. This is, we are way outmatched and they were outmatched, Okay. It was a way out. You I mean you talk about date? It was like a, it was a it was a a um, a, a corporate a, a vision or a version of the David and Goliath story. Okay, if you know that story, right? They were far outmatched, and Joshua knew that. He knew that what he was being called to do, the next morning and the next twenty years, was a humanly impossible. And what Joshua needed, listen, what I need. Right now in my life, what I think many of you need, if you're honest about what you're, God's calling you to do, and what we need as a church is not simply a good word from God. I don't need an inspiration. I don't need simply, you know, a, a pat on the back. I don't need a good word for God. I need to know that God knows specifically what I'm facing, number one, and that he is there ready to face it with me right? That's a difference. God isn't this sort of, you know, Wizard of Oz who doles out, you know, good encouraging words and, you know, uh, cookie, uh, 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 fortune cookie wisdom. That's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He says, listen, Joshua, glad you're here. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Really, my name is God. My name is Yahweh. My name is Jesus Christ. But for you today, I'm the commander of the Lord's army because that's what you need. And my sword is drawn because I've been sitting here not just for, you know, four hours. I've been sitting here for 40 years waiting for you, right? There's a, I think this, in the book of Revelation, it ends this way. Revelation 21. It says, maybe some of you are familiar with this. The whole Bible comes to a conclusion. In some ways, the Bible is a great, is a comedy. It's not a tragedy. And it ends, many of you know this, it ends where it began in sort of the Garden of Eden, heaven on earth, and everything is as it was meant to be. The kingdom of God is where what God says is done as God said it. It's not true in the world today, but it will be true in every way. 
humanly, you know, uh, uh, the natural environment, everything. And in Revelation 21, when everything's coming together, when finally everything is as God designed it to be, it says this, he shall wipe away every tear. Now, why do they wait all the way till the end of the book of Revelation to wipe away every tear? Because until we walk into the new heavens and the new earth, many of us, we've already, I, I, they're not crying because of their sin, in a sense. Their sin's been forgiven. My sin's been forgiven if I'm in that narrative. I think the tears are about regret because we look back on life. We have a different point of view. Our eyes, we see completely as we, that's what it says, we see him, we shall be like him, we shall see him as he is. We will see the world as it is and was and we'll realize in that moment, okay? I think this is what we're gonna realize. That the, the reason that you or I didn't achieve what we thought we could achieve, the reason that we as a church or a family did not achieve what we thought we didn't, could achieve is not because we were waiting on God and he never showed up. It's because God was waiting and we never showed up, right? That's what he learns from Joshua. God's gonna reveal himself in the way that we most need to support what he's called us to do. I would say, listen, even for this church, right? It's a great church already, okay? But the church isn't about you and me right? Every seat, every parking spot, it's about people who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior today, right? That's what it's about, and it is an impossible task, and it is difficult, and there is real, um, it's a real battle out there. There's real spiritual uh, um, conflict and brokenness, and, and, and heaven and hell stakes are going on out there. It's real. It is an impossible task, and God is saying to us, Listen, you know, I'm not here to serve you. You're not my personal assistant. I'm not your personal assistant. I'm calling you into my service, but I know what you're facing, and I'm ready to go. I'm dressed up and ready to go. Are you, uh, am I, are we? Let me look at a quick passage before we get out of here. David, at the end of his life, 2 Samuel, another example. At the end of a long life of service, King David he writes a song. It becomes another, it's written, it's, it's recorded, re-recorded in the 18th Psalm. And it's his way of saying, because David was a poet, as you know. David was a, was a, a, a man, was an artist. And he, he, he wants to write a song about what he's learned about God in the course of his life. I'm just going to read a few verses. 2 Samuel 22, 42. But it frames Joshua's moment and maybe ours as well. David said these words, 2 Samuel 22, 26. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. God reveals himself in the way most needed to support what he's called us to do. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the devious, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble. Take off your shoes. But your eyes are on the haughty to bring them low. You, Lord, now there's two promises the only two things that God asks for us is faithfulness and humility. Verse 27 and verse 28, right? Joshua, take off your shoes. But then there are promises, promises. This is what God is being offered to Joshua. It's being offered to you and me. You, Lord, are my lamp. The Lord turns my darkness into light. Right? The first promise is this. God promises if you will come to him with, in faithfulness, right? 
responding to his unmatched, unparalleled beauty, you just say, God, what, is he, what did Joshua say? Lord, tell your servant what you want me to do. And you come in humility, right? Some of you need to get knocked off of your horse, get over yourself, right? And you need to, you need to meet God in his holiness and, get, and, and in a manner of speaking, take off your shoes and say, God, what do you want me to do? It's too big for me. But with you, all things can be accomplished, right? You have faithfulness and humility. But the first promise, this is what David learned, 40 years, David, that God will turn your darkness, he turns my darkness into light. Listen, guys, that's a, that's a metaphor. David's a poet. He's not talking about turning the lights on. David said, listen, I live in a world, read David's life, that is morally and spiritually dark. And I can't even, sometimes I can't even figure out where I'm going or what I need to do. And I make bad decisions. And sometimes I walk down the wrong road because it's morally and spiritually dark. And number two, there's not only darkness around me, there's darkness inside of me. Right? There's darkness inside of you. And there's darkness inside of me. It's called being a sinner. But when we come to God humbly and faithfully, as you can do as we take this table in a few minutes, what you're saying is, listen, I'm gonna come and take off my shoes. I'm gonna bow my knee before the cross of Jesus Christ, right? That's what we do when we take the table. And you wanna say to God, listen, it's a declaration of dependence on God. That's what the taking off his shoes was about. It's a declaration of dependence on God. And if you, if you and I can do that every single day, but as a church, God said, I'll turn your darkness into light. I'll help you manage the, the highways and the byways in this world, and you can follow me even in a dark world, and I'll help you turn the light on inside your own heart. Amen? Second promise. I think Josh was getting this too, verse 30, but David, again, illustrates it. First, you'll turn my darkness into light. Second, with your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. Isn't that a great image? David looks back over his life and said, God turned the lights on. He was my light, a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. And he gave me the courage and the strength, right, to advance against a troop and to scale a wall. Right? That's what you need. That's what I need. That's what we need. If we're willing to humble ourselves before God. God reveals himself in the way most needed to support what it is he's called you to do. Lastly, we prepare for this table. We must declare our church holy ground for the great things that God wants to do, right? And our church begins with you and me, right? We are the church. But what does it mean to declare your church, to declare our, our lives, our church, even this building, manner of speaking, holy ground. It doesn't mean that it's morally pure. That's a form of holiness. I need it. You need it. It means that you declare it as set apart for God's purpose. That's what it means. Okay? It means that I'm going to say to God, listen, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a mixed bag. I am not, you know, uh, 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 you know the greatest. I'm not perfect. But as I am, I come to you and I say, you have all of me, right? That's what we're saying. That's what it means. When I I offer myself to God, 
That's what it means to be holy. I'm dedicating my life to you. I'm dedicating this ministry to you. I'm dedicating this church to you. I'm dedicating even this room to you because what we want to say, God, is we want to be holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, dedicated to your service. Amen? Amen? So as we share in this table, that's what we want to do together. Let's pray as we prepare. Our God and Father, we come before you this morning and ask that you would turn our hearts to you, that we might hear your voice, like Joshua did, obey the words you have for each of us here today, wherever we are in this room. If we have thought that your job is to serve us and that we want you to fight our fight, Lord, help us turn our hearts that we might obey your words today. Make us holy. May our minds and our hearts and our hands be dedicated to your service today. Make this place holy. May it be used as a sacred place where all kinds of people, men and women, students and families, singles and single again, of all races and backgrounds, where they can meet the living God, experience his grace and power, and be changed. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.